Hello and welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap, Making Work Across the Globe with me, Tom Sherrington, and my great colleague, Emma Turner. Hello, Emma. Hi, Tom. Are you well? Yeah, I'm really good. And I'm pleased that I actually managed to say our tagline properly because the last episode, I completely forgot what it was. So that Except was- you didn't. You just missed out a word in it, but I'm sure I'll pick you up on that. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> we're good. So, But we're really excited today because finally, because we've been trying to track you down, Amanda, we have got Amanda Wilson with us on our show. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Emma. Nice to meet you both. Yeah, it's really great to meet you. And we're we're buzzing. Like we we uh, you know talk about potential guests, and you know some sometimes all of a sudden we're like, oh wow, have you read this thing? And we're both reading a, I think it was a Guardian article about your book, and then we're thinking, what's this book? And then we both got it. So let's have let's do the show. Come on, Emma, three, two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Amanda, so you you know you've come to our attention because you've written this book, Letters to a Young Generation, Aspiring uh, School Leaders, and it's it says igniting a passion in the next generation of black school leaders, and essentially it's a, a book where lots of different black head teachers and school leaders have talked about their experience of that, and um, it's just great. I mean, it's so powerful, and um, we want to just hear all about it really. So, but also a bit of background before we get into that, maybe if you just want to tell people a bit about yourself, you know, where you're working and the kind of stuff you're up to at the moment, that'd be really good. Oh, yeah. Um, so I work at a school called St Alfred with St Peter's, which is in Greenwich. Um, it's just round, it's right in the centre of Greenwich, round the corner from the Cutty Sark or across the road from up the Creek Comedy Club, depending on sort of what your frame of reference is, how cultural you want to be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're right in the centre now. This is my fifth year in headship. I started there in September 2019. And um, in November 2019, I was writing my business continuity plan, which kind of covered things like pandemics and that kind of thing. And I'm writing, when's there ever going to be a pandemic? When's this going to happen? <laughs> and then so, you know, four months later, three months later, I was in the midst of a pandemic. So I started my headship um, sort of, you know, head first. Um, but I've, I've loved, I have genuinely loved every part of the journey um and so yeah being I think being a head teacher is one of the best jobs that I've, I've ever had so I, I, it's it's something I'm passionate about and that leads me to be then passionate about encouraging others to kind of get up that leadership ladder. So what sort of teaching were you doing before or what was your, what was your route to becoming a head teacher of that school? So it's quite a sort of you know a roundabout route so I, I my first career was actually in retail um, and I worked for Tesco's for a while as a training manager. And then in my late 20s, I decided it was time to sort of move on because I wasn't the career progress there wasn't quite going where I wanted to. So I took a year out from work and I started working my daughter's preschool uh, volunteering. And I thought, oh, I quite like this. And then I got a job as a learning support assistant. And I thought, oh, I quite like this as well. Uh, and so then I decided, oh, you know, trained to be a teacher. And it was, you know, as much as and I said this a few times, as much as people say their teacher was their vocation, they felt led to it and, you know, they're, they're in it to, to, to kind of change the world. I was genuinely in it for the holidays um, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there was no shame. I don't feel ashamed saying that at all. It no. fit in with my daughter. She was young at the time. It was great. And um, when people say 13 weeks holiday, it's like, yes, we get a 13 weeks holiday. Um, but that was initially, obviously, I've kind of come a long way since then. Um, and, and yeah, so then I, I was teaching for about five years. And then the school that I was at in Newham, 
we were part of a PFI project, which was a different type of PFI because it was a school that had uh, a project where 30 schools in Newham had the year fives and sixes all had access to laptops, individual laptops. And so I managed the project for my school in school. And then there, so it was a company called RM Education. Um, and so they managed the project with Newham. And then I started working for RM as the project coordinator for the 30 schools. So that was me going into schools, teaching them how to use the computers to develop teaching and learning. Uh, and then when that project ended, I then carried on working for RM, but I worked in the bid department. So at the time they were going, you know, free schools and academies were just uh, up and coming. So I used to write the parts of the bid that were all about how technology could be used to enhance teaching and learning. So I used to have to write, work with all the other bid writers. They're all working all the other technology bits. And it was a really interesting job because I got to got to know a lot of the, the current free schools and what their requirements were and what their visions were for their schools. So actually, it was a really interesting time for me to see how schools were developing and, and the ideas that schools had in, in terms of trying to make them innovative. And then being a private company, they went through a round of redundancies. And it just so happened that my line manager at the time was the friend of um, my, my who was going to be my new boss and she said you know I told her I was late I was going to leave she said oh and I, I know somebody's looking for a, a deputy head teacher and I thought why not so I went for the job got the job and then because it was part of a federation they were then going into an all through school with another school that they were part of and it's kind of just you know snowboarded from there so I worked at one school as a deputy then moved on to the head of school and I was quite happy to stay as a deputy head teacher end my retirement there. My husband would have, you know, he had my career mapped out for me. He had me executive <laughs> schools. Um, and it was more more fear that stopped me from progressing and from moving forward. Um, but then I went to see a friend of mine who's a head teacher at a school and, and I kind of thought, why not? The only difference is that my name would be above the door. Whereas before, you know, any issues that came up, I could have pushed them up to executive head teachers. But this was my chance to say, actually, what's the worst that could happen I've always got Tesco's to fall back on um and so you know here I am five years later and I've done an all right job I love it it's, it's so like that's just not the opposite of a sort of like nice neat story of like then you know sort of and I, I think that's great and that's that just shows doesn't it we have to sort of embrace the kind of the pathways and see teaching as having multiple ways in and yeah motivate people to keep going so Emma what do you what do you think of that? I've had the stories like not not typical it was not typical, but what a rich story. Because I was just thinking you've come from a career change and then you viewed education from every role within an organisation, yeah. from sports sports staff role, teaching role. And I, I think I don't think people set enough store by the kinds of roles like you had with the, the tech company where you see multiple schools because yeah. that really helps to shape. This is and you don't necessarily know you're thinking at the time. This is what I would do, and that's what I definitely wouldn't yeah, do. Absolutely. And that kind of richness of experience of seeing multiple routes. And I, I find those kind of roles and those kind of non-standard routes through into leadership absolutely fascinating because it brings a richness of experience that you don't necessarily get if you follow that kind of traditional linear trajectory so I was just listening to you thinking wow you've seen <laughs> education from so many vantage points and I was just thinking if that helped to shape your view of when you did get that your kind of exec role whether that 
helped to shape your thinking about how you wanted to do things or how you didn't want to do things? I'm not an exec. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I appreciate you well, kind I'm, of speaking well, into saying... my life. However, <laughs> I'm a teacher. One for when you went into, into, that, into that senior role to say, yeah. this has helped to shape my thinking. Yeah. I think I, I kind of, I, I'd worked, so my deputy headship was at one form entry school. My mm-hmm. head of school role was at a two form entry school. And that helped me to decide, actually, I prefer one form entry schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Newham, when I was working in Newham, I got to go into all 30 schools in Newham. And then as part of my PFI, um, BSF uh, workings uh, and, and that kind of thing, um, working for bid writing, I got to go into secondary schools. I got to go into schools all over the country. And so me being able to see the different facets and also see different types of leadership as well and see those people, you know, because I, when I was doing the bid writing stuff, we were working with schools that were from ground level up and seeing how um, leaders would ignite their teams and do their training and do that, give their support and all that kind of thing. So that's, all shaped my okay so if I'm going to initiate this type of thing this is what I need to be thinking about this is how I need to make sure that my staff are coming along on the journey and so it really has been a benefit to shape who I am as a leader but also you know my career in retail as well and the leadership skills that I've picked up there and you know it's all you know I worked um, one of the things I did when I was working at Tesco's was I helped to set up the Tesco Kensington store, which was their flagship store at the time. And I worked on all the training and development and setting that up. And that was kind of a multi-million pound project. And so that's kind of helped me to see, okay, when it comes to training and development, this is what I need to take into consideration for my staff. So the different facets that I've had over the years, and you know, until you talk about it, you don't realise, oh yeah, yeah, quite, I've done quite a lot. And it's all fed into in some way. Like you said, you don't realise it at the time, But now when I get to this point in my life, it's like, yeah, wow. Okay, that's a lot. Oh my God, what an asset. Because I mean, the number of things you have to do as a head, I remember being as a head thinking, pretty ridiculous sitting down here sort of with architects and, you know, multi-million pound building projects. And they're asking me, you know, where to put stuff like that. I thought you were going to tell me and you're asking me. It's sort of like, it blows your mind how, how many responsibilities you have. Yeah. Let's get into this, the, the thing about your, your letters book there, because it's, mm. such, it's such a powerful concept. And, you know, we've, we've, we've interviewed a couple of other head teachers, black head teachers, Francis Akinde, yeah. Dinah Sagi. And it's, it's not a, it's not like a side issue for them, you know, but it's an important factor of their, their whole experience of headship that they're like a rare head, a head as being a black mm. with other heads and so on. And then having to sort of face that kind of a, a number of different a- aspects of that. So you've obviously come to this idea of the book and it, tell, tell how it came about and we'll get started into some of the stories in it. It's, it's, it's excellent. I really obviously want as many people to read it as possible, but sure. where did it come from? So this is the third book in the series. So when I went back into school as a deputy in 2014, I worked in a school where we had um, a few challenging children, black boys at, at, at the time. And I was looking sort of for, for text for them to encourage them and to support them. And I was very aware that there didn't seem to be many books that were written from a black British perspective generally. 
most of the sort of encouraging books are written by American authors. So at the time I, I did a very similar thing. I, I just decided, okay, went out and contacted as many black males who um, grew up in the UK as possible. So that ended up in a book with um, people like David Lammy, love or hate him, uh, Hugh Quashi, uh, Julian Golding, an athlete, good friend of mine, uh, Sheldon Thomas, who's on Gangs Line. So they kind of pulled together all these letters and that went really well. And then a couple of years after that, I did one for girls. Uh, I had individuals like Sunita, um, Miss Dynamite, you know, lots of sort of well-known celebrities at the time. And then when I was, I think it was probably around the time that they, they released the um, the census, the teach, teacher workforce census, and everyone, you know, was talking about the fact that it was very stark that only 1% of head teachers in England were black, and that equated to 200 teachers. And then there were conversations that were being had about why that was and why would, you know, if you're a, a black teacher at a different level, why would you want to go into leadership? And all I could think about is how my my journey, um, the people that had encouraged me, so I you know, mentioned Violet and Chinye in, in the book, um, and how important it was to have those individuals in those positions, because there are some great teachers out there who, for one reason or another, just aren't being seen. And so I think it was about me being able to shine a light on those who have done the job, being able to say to the next generation, look, it's possible. You know, you, we, you may not see us because we are so disparate and so all, you know, all over the place. And there's only a few of us, but we are here. And our journeys, as you've seen from mine, are all very different, but it's possible to get here. And and it was it was then that kind of made me think, oh, actually, right, this is this is another book that I could do. Um, and so once again, I just sent out a ton of emails, asked people to, you know, if they knew anyone that would identify as, as as black, who was a head teacher, past or present, who wanted to contribute. And I think I ended up sort of getting the details of well, about 90 head teachers, but for varying reasons, you know, not everyone can contribute for, for whatever reasons, time and availability. But we got 18 and there were 18 great letters. And and it's been so encouraging to see the responses and the impact that it's had for those that have read it from both sides. So not just the black teachers, but from the white educators as well, who are learning what it's like from the other side. And I think that's the most powerful thing about the book is that the, 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 the learning it's given for all sides and all educators. Do you want to give us a feel of one of them then? Like, 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 because we could explore them. I, mean, I could almost like want to read some out, some, some of them out. But um, just as I'm to give people a, a, a just of a flavour. I mean, I, I one of my favourite ones, partly because he's the head of the local school to me. Mm. And uh, I met him years ago. I was the deputy head, and I actually he came to visit me when I was the head very briefly um, a, a few years ago. Patrick Cozier, mm-hmm. who's, who's the the head at Highgate Wood School. Uh, yeah. Crouch End and and he's been the head there for a long time so I got apart from anything else I just he's a bit of a legend for being a long-serving head yes uh, in a in a very mixed comprehensive school um doing you know brilliant brilliantly and uh all my all my friends a lot of my friends kids went that school he was their head teacher so he's a bit of a he's like a figure in our world you know so it's just and it was just interesting like when you you know a bit about someone and you read their story and he was he, he was someone who he was really young and he became a deputy head and then had like when he was really young. So he had this thing of like sort of having to learn on the job and feeling like insecure about it for quite a long time. Mm. 
because he was sort of like suddenly ahead and perhaps didn't even, he caught himself not being quite ready for it. And he describes that really brilliantly, how suddenly he says, I spent the first three years in the job scared of my own shadows. <laughs> like, but then I grew in stature, in confidence, in experience, in emotional security, in strength of purpose and will. I'm still growing now, learning all the time. And hopefully that will never stop. I think, wow, it's so honest. It's so sort of brilliantly honest. And that was going back a few years. And then he's got these sort of seven suggestions. We can talk about some of those later. But there's that type of honesty, which I think is so refreshing to hear. So, I mean, he's just one example. But what do you what do you think it was that sort of wanted someone like Patrick to want to share that with people? I mean, Patrick is is amazing. I mean, everything that I do, whether it's related to the book or the first 100 days had teach, he's just there. Patrick is just, I mean, he's, he's everywhere. But he gives so much. And I think it's, for for a lot of them, and um, in fact most of them, it's just wanting to give back, and it's just that you know I, I love the phrase sending the elevator back down, and that's what it's about. It's about not thinking right. I've I've reached here. This is me. I'm done. I'm going to sit in my ivory tower and just you know survey my kingdom. It's about right. What can I do to pull up the next generation? What can I do to support? What can I do to help? And for some of them, it, it was a case of if all I can do is just write a letter. And, and, and I think what, what was quite poignant for a lot of people who wrote it, because when I sent the, the brief out, it was a um, similar brief to the other two books. So there was no, you have to write about this, it has to come from this angle. It was, you write whatever you feel we encourage another teacher. You feel whatever you write. And for some, they were writing to themselves. For some, it's like, well, this is what I wish somebody had told me. This is what I wish somebody had shared with me when I was a new teacher, when I was coming up through the ranks. So it, it was, and, and a lot of people say that, you know, writing these letters is, is quite cathartic because you kind of, it gives you an opportunity to really reflect on your journey and on what you've experienced as well, because very often we don't take time to just sit down and, and think about our experiences, good or bad, and think about how they've contributed to the people and the leaders that we've become. And so for a lot of the contributors, it was a, it was a case of, I am the leader that I am today because of what I had to experience. You know, when you think about someone like Dean Gordon, who came over from Jamaica, the same with um, Floyd Stedman, you know, came over um, and became a teacher from, you know, from a different country. And then they had to experience racism um, and not kind of, understand that why is it so straightforward in Jamaica you know but that there's so many obstacles in the UK when all I want to do is teach that's all I want to be able to do is to teach and so I think it's 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 knowing now that they've got this opportunity to to kind of pour into that next generation and say look you're not alone on this journey you know we're with you every step of the way and I like to kind of turn these these books like mentors in a book um, and when you can't access somebody physically, you can access them through the book. And that's what's most important. And that's one of the reasons I made sure for all the books, including this one, I asked contributors to put, you know, they would be happy to put some kind of contact details down so that it wasn't just a, a name. Uh, it was somebody they could reach out to. That's one of the reasons why I really wanted the photos in there because, like, you can connect on a personal level when you see the person who's written the, le the letter rather than a, a faceless head teacher because th there's more of a personal element to it when you can see who who's written the letter. And they are incredibly personal, these letters, aren't they? They mm. are rich stories of people's 
journeys, good, bad, challenging, inspiring. And I think one of the things that um, that came over was that kind of bravery to be that vulnerable in telling what what were some really quite challenging stories, but also reading it, I genuinely felt so inspired in leadership as well yeah. to say to say you know these are wonderful leaders who making genuine brilliant change and I, I wanted to read their stories to be inspired as a leader because mm. they were so fantastic and but I loved Sophia's entry when she was talking about the feeling of the crown I absolutely you know what it actually feels like to be in that leadership position and I uh, that was my personal <laughs> favorite letter because I thought it was, you know, she's talking about well, once you're in this position, what does it feel like, and, mm-hmm. and what can you do? Um, so were you not not sort of surprised is the wrong word with the kind of um, vulnerability and honesty that people were were willing to share? I was I was so taken aback by the that element of people's work and that, of their story. Yeah, I I wasn't, and that's only because of the previous two books, mm-hmm. and because in the previous two books, you know, even someone like Hugh Quashi, who's you know well known actor, had never met him, still have never met him, um, and if I ever meet him one day, I said, remember you wrote a letter for the book, but he even his open <laughs> honesty um, was quite was really poignant, and so because I'd seen it from them. It was. It was. I, I knew that it was going to come again. I knew that you know these letters were going to be quite honest and heartfelt, and also because I think there was an understanding that it, it's a letter um, about you. And I try. I did one of the things. I said try to try not to be too autobiographical. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, some people couldn't help that because it helped to to, to kind of bring their stories together. But I think I think in that people wanted. I think people wanted. And those who read it to see the real them and to see the reality of the situation. There's no point trying to pretty it up. There's no point trying to kind of put a bow on it and say, oh, yeah, you know, it's all lovely. It'll all be fine. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay because that's not the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And so in, in writing the letters, I think it was felt that they had to be honest. And that's what's come out when we've done the panel discussions as well. And when we had the launch, there was an honesty in the room and a vulnerability that made you think, actually, these people are really there for these individuals that read the book. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's, I, I, I really appreciate that from the, from the writers. I felt like I knew them after I'd read it. Mm-hmm. I felt like they'd been so honest that I, that I would recognize them a bit and, and chat with them just from, yeah. just from there. So they're, they're stunning pieces of writing in themselves as well they're absolutely beautiful beautiful to read as well mind the gap is produced in association with harringay education and partnership hep is a school zone schools-led school improvement company supporting you to provide children and young people with the best possible start in life If you're interested in hearing more about HEP, follow the link in the show notes. And there are some themes, and for me, there's a a common thing that comes through is, I guess, a sense of uh, an issue around confidence. And some people sort of, um, I mean, if you you ever met someone like uh, 
you know, Viv Grant, you know, you wouldn't imagine that she was ever not confident, yeah. but but even even Patrick, I mean, he's a humble kind of kind of guy, mm. I mean, and you know, he he's a he's a, he's a kind of low key kind of person in the room. Mm. You know, he's not like big ego. Not so. And, so. and so you've got you've got this whole thing of t- head teachers can be different, but then it's just, I felt like that issue of that some of the messages are be confident or you know um, try to be confident. So he's, and I I think that's an interesting thing about having to stand up in front of a group of teachers and lead. I mean, I, I felt like that as a head teacher, that you've got to almost like fake it to make it like, oh God, I've got to go in there and be the head. But do you think this is the, this is the, the, the nub of it? Do you think there's a special issue around, say, teachers or middle leaders who, who are black, who, who then feel that they need additional encouragement or confidence to go for headship? Uh, do you, is that, does that come through your discussions? Yeah, I think um, one of the challenges is this kind of, you want to be seen in the right light. And I think as a, you know, for, for many black leaders, and I, I can't speak for everybody, but, you know, from from experience and people I've spoken to, you've kind of got this stereotype of either the angry black woman or the aggressive black man. And so you're very, very careful at how you measure yourself and how you come across. And, you know, the confidence can become, you know, can can be seen as being cocky or being um, aggressive. And so whereas some people, you know, of a different ethnicities, you know, if you're if you're white, for example, you may feel fine to say, yeah, I want to do this. I want to get involved in this. I want to, you know, I want to lead here. I want to do this. Whereas for some if you're black and you kind of put yourself forward like that, it, it's kind of, you know, whoa, it's a bit bit in your face type thing. Whereas it's that same passion and that same excitement that comes across, but it's seen in a different way. And so I think some people then hold themselves back because they're worried about how they may be perceived by others. And so in that holding back, they will then miss out on opportunities. And so it's making sure that you know, we, we, we're, I'm part of a, a group in, in Greenwich called Educate Against Racism, and it's um, it's a borough-wide borough group led by the Director of Children's Services. And our aim is to kind of change the the narrative on 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 um, how we support black teachers into leadership. And talking to a lot of aspiring leaders, it is a case of, you know, I I miss opportunities because somebody, you know, there's always somebody who. They've been in the position for le- for less time than I have, but because they, their face fits, and a lot of a lot of it is about whose face fits, and so therefore, again, you kind of shrink into yourself a bit more because you think, well, I'm seeing all these people overtaking me. I'm seeing this person been in the role for five minutes, but they seem to have you know jumped ahead to as, as assistant headship and or head of head of department or what have you, and nobody seems to be seeing me, and so I think it's being able to encourage people to say yeah it's okay to put yourself forward it's okay to say I am here to ask the opportunities but it also takes those who are above to be able to recognize that there are talented individuals because it has to be on merit it's not you know it's not a tick boxing exercise nobody wants to be chosen because there you know we need another black face or we need another um a brown face we want to be chosen because we are really good at our job just like anybody else although not necessarily just like anybody else, because some people are in their jobs and they're not very good at all. However, <laughs> if one who wants to be chosen, because we are, good at, 
<laughs> we are good at our jobs. Um, but, you know, some people, because they're not going to put themselves forward, they need others to be able to recognise them. And I think that's where the kind of lack of confidence comes from. It's what's going to be seen first. So people are going to see the colour of my skin first and therefore automatically put, have an opinion or are they going to recognise my skills and say, okay, let me put aside my bias, um, let me put aside my preconceptions about what I've you know, heard or read about black people and let me see who the individual is behind that skin colour. That made me think about Andrea's chapter when she talks about this um, speaking up and, and her feelings of that sometimes not applying for things or is a form of self-preservation. And mm -hmm. I found that part that she wrote about absolutely fascinating. Does that link to that confidence idea that you were just yeah. talking about? Yeah, I think it is because it, it is a case of what what if it all goes wrong? And, and you know, anybody can can have that thought. But I think, and, and this is something that came out of one of the panel discussions that we had, I think that what if it all goes wrong is heightened when you are a person of colour, because mm -hmm. it's not just, oh, you know, and you see this in the news and in the media all the time, it's not just, oh, a head teacher's got it wrong, it's a black head teacher's got it wrong, an Asian head teacher's got it wrong. And so then ethnicity is brought into any mistake that you may, that you may make. And so there's a then certain element of, you know, you, you kind of can't make any mistakes because somebody's always watching and you've got those people then are watching and waiting for you to fall or for you to trip to be able to say, well, what did you expect? And so that then causes people to think, I don't want that stress. I don't want that kind of pressure on me. Um, I can choose to just stay where I am and, and not have to deal with that. And that's what I think uh, that the kind of, conclusion a lot of people will come to is what what do I prefer do I just prefer a nice quiet life or do I want to put my head above the parapet and risk that kind of criticism and that kind of um you know sort of being in a a, a fishbowl and being scrutinized and not scrutinized for the right reasons because there's you know I've got a problem with being scrutinized but not because of the color of my skin not because I'm black because you know if it's if I'm going to be scrutinized for anything it's because I, the decisions I'm making are not sound decisions and that's got nothing to do with my ethnicity. Mm. So do you think, I mean, this is, this is another thing, the confidence was one of them I, I kind of picked out and the other, the other one was be yourself about authenticity. And so you've got to kind of, and to me that's, that's a theme that I've been talking about a lot recently in terms of teachers. So, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, you know, a lot, a lot of us are nerdy about <laughs> teaching techniques and evidence-informed practice and cognitive science and everything. But even when you've got a fairly clear idea in your own head about, you know, lessons that are good look like this, and then you've got to then talk about that with a, a group of teachers, and they're all different, like a group mm. of teachers are a bunch of individuals. So each individual teacher has to then... Um, go and express that in the classroom as themselves and sometimes you see someone doing a technique you're thinking I, I i like watching you do it but i ain't ever doing that that's never gonna happen yeah. and, and i think the same with, do you think the same with leadership so you've got this thing of like leaders who you can imagine you can see a head teacher like flying and, and think wow they're and sometimes they're quite self-promotional and they they say look what we do and it all looks great mm -hmm. you think yeah but that's I can't be you. Um, and I fell in that, to that trap myself a couple of times, sort of wanting to emulate a couple of people and 
like fading miserably, miserably because it wasn't authentic to me. And and I, so, do you think that authenticity, that authenticity issue, is is particularly heightened then for black black middle leaders or head leaders, head teachers? Yeah, I think you know, as a black as a black leader, I think you 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 know this this whole concept of bring your whole self to to the workplace is 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 a great debate um, because. For, for some people to bring their whole place their self to the workplace is kind of like mm, that that might be kind of going on dodgy ground sometimes you know in terms of how you behave but I think also I can always speak to myself as an example and one the best example I always give is during lockdown when um hairdressers were closed and I have always had my hair in what well, right over the last sort of 10 years or so I had my hair in braids and during lockdown hairdressers were closed I can't braid my own hair so suddenly I had this real dilemma about having my hair out naturally in afro and I never and either had it relaxed before so chemically treat um, straightened or in braids and suddenly I thought well how am I going to be perceived if I have my hair out naturally what are people going to say are they going to still think I'm a, I'm a good head teacher are they going to think oh okay she's a really a black head teacher am I trying to be something different so I had this whole you know, internal dilemma going on. But what swung it for me when I eventually did, because I had no choice, I had to take my hair out and have it out, um, was when the children came up to me and was like, Miss, I love your hair. And that to me was like, okay, this is what it's about. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's more the authenticity side is more about you as an individual and your personality and how you bring that into teaching and learning and leadership. Um, Think about, you know, someone like Halil uh, Tamgunas, who is a fantastic head teacher. And I watch some of his videos sometimes of him in his school dancing around and doing that. I just I don't have the energy to do that. You know, that's just, <laughs> it's just you know, and it's too noisy. Um, and so for me to try to do that, what he does, it wouldn't work for me in my school, but it works perfectly for him. But I need to, I've got to the point now when I'm five years into my headship where I am comfortable with what the decisions that I make and how I make them but it takes a long time to do that and also I think because I'm you know you know I'm I'm 51 and so therefore I'm at that age where it's like you know I think I don't really care much anymore what people think <laughs> um, you know it doesn't really matter and I think those combination of things the experience and the age and and having people around me so I've got a very good network of head teachers within Greenwich who are very supportive who I see how they are as head teachers and see how different they are in in their schools and that itself gives me the confidence to think right okay I don't have to do it like everybody else but unless you've got those networks around you unless you've got those individuals that say yeah it's okay to be and to do the way you think then you're you're you are going to feel a bit, I guess, intimidated sometimes by the more progressive and and outward thinking. And you know, if you go on Twitter, sometimes you could feel really self-conscious about the way that you lead a school because you see all these things that people are doing and all these initiatives, and you think, oh my, my school's not doing half of that, and you could become really intimidated. And so I think it's it's that that side of things is not necessarily down to ethnicity; it's down to individuals and and personality. Mm -hmm. And I can also confirm, because I used to work with Halil, he's like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but it's, it's so true, isn't it? Because you have to grow into your 
yourself as an individual as a leader as well yes. and you yes. look back on your own leadership journey you think I'm not the leader I was mm. when I started I yes. have grown as a leader in multiple different ways due to multiple different reasons yeah and also you have to be the right leader in the right place because yeah. you can be a brilliant leader but for every pot there's a lid and mm. you just might not be um the right leader for that particular school I can think yeah. of schools I've worked in which I would never have led in and then other schools where it was the perfect fit yeah. and you just think there's that element as well of that of that individual aspect of you've got to be the right person for the right place at the right time and recognize that you're on your own leadership journey as well as an individual as part of your your career trajectory mm. um there's a bit at the beginning of the book, towards the beginning, um, where it says, why not? <laughs> you know, why not do this? And yeah. I was just wondering if you kind of had any views on how to capture that spirit for anybody who thinks, you know, I'm not sure that mm. leadership is for me. How do we channel why not? Yeah, it's... it's uh, to some extent, it's like Dr Pepper. What's the worst that can happen? Okay. <laughs> You know, the worst that could happen is you could get struck off uh, and, and not teach anymore. However, <laughs> that, you know, that's that's kind of the extreme <laughs> end of it. Um, and I think it's it's knowing that you've you've sometimes you've just got to take risks and see what happens. Me, my my reluctance to become a head teacher wasn't it wasn't even a, a conscious thing really. I think it was just I'm comfortable and. And it was, it was, I think, when you kind of get to the point where you become uncomfortable and think, well, what's next that you think, okay, maybe this is what it is. And it is, if it doesn't work out, there are other things you can do. And I think it's, you see much more now uh, and you hear about a lot more, you know, especially if you're on social media, which not everybody is, but if you are, you hear a lot more stories about, you know, teachers and leaders who have tried it and it's not been for them. You know, individuals have decided, OK, I prefer a head of school role because I've got somebody who, where you know, who's above me where the buck stops. Um, individuals who decide, actually, I like being a second. I like being a deputy head teacher. I like that role. But I think until you try, then you're never going to know. And so that why not is what you're afraid of. You know, what's, what is the worst that could happen? And I think until mm. you explore that and break that down and understand where that's coming from you kind of you need to kind of get to know yourself and I think for me you know my role as a coach and in my role as a, a, a trainee psychotherapist I kind of begin to understand that behind every individual there's a story that makes them who they are and so when you get to grips with right okay it's because of this experience or because of that individual that said that one thing to you that many years ago that's made you shut down completely okay, well, then we need to get past that. We need to be able to deal with that so you can move forward. So I think it, it, it is having that why not, but having somebody alongside you that can kind of talk you through that why not as well. Mm. Well, I feel like, you know, it's, this is why the book's so so useful. And I think we've, we've discussed this issue with a, with a few previous guests about the importance of representation and, you know, in so many different in so many different aspects, and it, it could be with curriculum. I remember talking to, you know, Benny Cara about this whole issue of, you know, as a child, as a, you need to see yourself in your curriculum. You need to feel like it's yours, not someone yeah. else's. And, you know, so occasionally, like your people like me are in the are in the books and 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 are in stories from history and so mm. on. And I feel like that must 
that's definitely true when you're trying to recruit. So, I mean, I, I, I won't get too personal about it, but at school I know pretty well. They have a lot of um, uh, Jewish and Muslim teachers, for example, because it's a, it's a school where people know that there are other people who are also like them and they, they, they go there because they feel secure and they talk about that. It's an explicit thing. Like there are schools you think, oh, I'm not sure about that because some teachers will literally not apply to schools for jobs because they don't see there's got the other people who have a similar mm -hmm. faith background, therefore don't know how well they'd be received when it comes to holidays and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So seeing people like yourself in the profession has clearly got to be a big thing. But the question I always have with this is like, where do you begin? Because you've got to, like, to recruit to heads, you've got to have senior leaders who are up for it and then they have to come from the pool of teachers mm. so it must be at the bottom end it must be at the the beginning of recruiting teachers into teaching for in the first place so where we have to do our hardest work mm. I mean, do you think that's true or, do you think we are lots of teachers who just aren't going beyond that initial wave yeah i think i mean it's and again this is a conversation we've had in our eair group about recruiting and and what can be done and we you know we've got um somebody from the um, ITE from the University of Greenwich on our group now because I think it is it is what you see that will draw you to a particular school uh, I would I didn't apply there's a one particular school um that uh had a vacancy um and I didn't apply for it because it was in a predominantly white area and when I looked on the, on the website the only black member of staff was the premises manager and so for me, it's like, okay, I could go in and change that, but it's like, I, I, that's not what I want to do, you know? Um, I want to work somewhere where I, I know already there's that diversity. And so I'm really fortunate to now be in a school where I look on my staff team and it's incredibly diverse. Some have come to work with me from previous schools and, and some, you know, just recruited and, and, and I've seen them and thought they were really good and recruited them from that perspective but also my governing body are very my, my chair of governors is very very um that's very high on her agenda in terms of making sure there's a diversity in the staff team in the governing body and so I think it's it's having to have that collective effort from the governors and from the senior leadership to think we want a diverse school um but it depends on the co on the context because I know that um uh, for example, Dean Gordon, who's another um, uh, one of the other letter writers, I went to visit his school to to give him a copies of the book just before Christmas, and he's got an he's got an incredible amount of black teachers working in his school, but he was saying that because that's the context of his school, the majority of the children in his school are black African, black Caribbean, and so and the context of his school also is that they need those kind of role models to be able to see themselves. So he's purposely recruited not to kind of you know have some kind of apartheid system but because he understands his school context and understands what his community needs and what his community will respond to and so I think you know it, it's, it's you as a leader knowing right what's needed here what will benefit this school um, and being able to be brave enough to kind of go for that uh, because I know that for me that the diversity that I have in my staff team really does match the diversity that I have in the school. So when I've got some um, East Asian teachers, it, you know, the, 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 the look on the children's faces when they, you know, when I have my, my you know, Vietnamese and Chinese um, uh, children who are seeing staff that look like them is priceless, you know, because suddenly it's like, okay, 
somebody who really understands when we talk about the Chinese New Year, why am I talking about it when I've got staff and children that can fully educate us on what the situation and, and how the celebration is about. And so I think it's 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 so important for everybody at all levels. And I think, you know, when we have now, when we go out to, you know, we, we work at other schools and we work with other schools within the local community, because others are seeing what our school is like if we have vacancies they know what they're going to get when they come to our school they know what we're going to they're going to see and i think that's the difference it's also having to kind of as a school put yourself out there so that people can come in as visitors and as you know observers to see okay the community in operation It's brilliant. I mean, it feels to me like it's one of those things which is like you get into a positive spiral. So when when you've got diversity in the staff body, you can celebrate that. It's more evident and it, you, you gather momentum around that. And I've spoken to this to a lot of people about this. It's sort of, you know, when you're when you're just only fishing from the same old pool, mm. you, don't, you can't change that. So this is one of the hardest things to do for in some contexts is to reach out beyond that sort of yeah. to people, to, to, to attract people to... Mm. to consciously rather than just doing the same old adverts and seeing who you get you you're just going to get the same people you've got got to do something bigger than that somehow that's probably a time that's for another conversation just tell us a little bit i know that you know you just you know you've got um crux leadership development i've seen your website there that sounds really interesting Mm. i like the fact that it says building essential building blocks with hexagons on it because in my work with walkthroughs it's all Mm. about building and hexagon so like yes get in more of that but what are you what are you doing with that what's what's your work around that yeah i mean to be fair the, the hexagons was my, my graphic designer's idea um, <laughs> and when she said what you know what the vision was like, oh yeah that makes sense so i've run with it you know it's just good but it, it's it's kind of bringing together everything that i do so you know i had amanda Wilson um coaching and the coach was a was a, an element of it but over the last few years i've done a lot of training um, I've done uh, events and so it's kind of bringing all that together under one umbrella um, so I do work with Teach First and on their MPQ conference and I deliver two workshops for them and I have done for the past three years um, I've done the first 100 days head teachers conference and this will be the third year that that's run um, and then also I've got I do some writing I do some articles and other publications so it's kind of just bringing it all together but all with a steer towards supporting teachers and leaders on their journey because for me that's kind of at the heart of everything I do I've always loved supporting people I've always liked kind of being a cheerleader somebody tells me they're going to do something it's like right okay how are we going to do it what are you going to do holding them to account it can get really annoying sometimes but that's just how it is you know if you're going to tell me you're going to do something you need to expect that I'm going to come back with a you know and my husband said to me went away this weekend and um his aunt, he said, oh, I, you know, when we were driving back, I said, oh, I really like what you said. He said, you know, his aunt had said something she was going to do. And then you said to her, and when are you going to do it? And it just, it just comes naturally to me, you know, I wasn't intentionally trying to coach her. But I think it's, <laughs> for me, I love seeing other people succeed. I love seeing other people reach where they want to need to get to. And so for Crux Leadership, it is that, right, what's at the heart of you, what you want to do? And what do you need to get there? And sometimes it's not just about, 
one thing. It's not just about coaching, it's about events, it's about networking, it's about all the different things that can combine to get an individual to where they need to be. And, and I found over the past, you know, 10, 15 years or so that I've kind of been really pushing this, that it is about the connections that you that you make and the conversations that you have and the the, the rooms that you get in that can make a difference. And I think for me, it's being able to create more opportunities for people to be in more rooms together. So <laughs> what's next for you then, Amanda? What's the what's the next thing for big project on the horizon? Oh, you sound like you've got an enormous amount on at the minute. But it's... Well, it's funny you should ask. So um, I've just finished my master's. Um, I did a master's in coaching and mentoring practice. Um, and my dissertation was on the experience of coaching for blackhead teachers. Um, I've been accepted to do my PhD. So I'm starting that in September. Um, and that's going to be a focus on code switching and whether black teachers feel the need to code switch in order to climb the career ladder. Um, and then I've also, we've got another head teachers conference, first 100 days head teachers conference. And then a new thing I'm doing in August is this big extravaganza gala, Met Gala meets Grime Gala meets education, where we're just going to have a jolly old time just before we go back in the new academic year. So I kind of, a few things on the go. And plus I'm oh. doing a psychotherapy course. <laughs> Wow. When do you blink and breathe? <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda? <laughs> it's it's fantastic. We, we're getting the, the time up the notice from our producer now, but it honestly, Amanda, it was brilliant talking to you. I, I'm I'm so in awe of that, to be honest. Um you're a head teacher and you're gonna do a PhD and uh that's just well, I think that's brilliant. So you're gonna be doctor in a few years' time, be Dr. Wilson. <laughs> that's Wilson like, yeah. <laughs> Doff our caps to you appropriately. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> honestly, it's, it's so inspiring. And I love this. In fact, it's one of the other themes I, I was going to mention earlier, but I feel like that uh, we talked about confidence and then uh, authenticity, but I felt there's another common theme in the book, in the letters is, is this thing of networking, bringing people up, um, helping others. And I feel like, you know, you 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 embody that through the, the way you talk about the people, but also just the fact that you, you, you invited people to be part of that book and lifting mm. people up in that way. So honestly, thank you so much for... For joining us on Mind the Gap, it's a real honour to speak to you, and uh, look forward to following your progress. <laughs> and uh, keep in touch with us. It's really been great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so thanks everyone listening to Mind the Gap. What a great episode that's been. Uh, look forward to further episodes um, uh, on on the podcast. We've had a, a great run with more guests to come. So thanks you for listening. It's, it, it really means a lot to us. We hear from people all over the world actually dialing into Mind the Gap. It blows my mind really how far uh, our podcast has reached. So thank you for listening and thanks again to Amanda and we'll see you really soon. Thank you for listening to Mind the Gap. I'm Emma Turner and I've been presenting with my co-host Tom Sherrington. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share on social media and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on our YouTube channel, search Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma or head over to Spotify for an audio version. This podcast was produced in association with Haringey Education Partnership and our producer for today's episode was Luke Kemper.